1: Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us.
2: We've been talking about how to raise resilient kids and adults, the principle, the practice, the understanding of the concept of resiliency and how to build this into our lives. One of the most important qualities that you'll ever build into your life or into the lives of your children is resilience. And I've been using this basketball to describe, to give us a little bit of an analogy or picture of what it means to be a resilient person. And of course, this basketball, when I bounce it on a hard surface, it rebounds. It comes directly back to me. And the reason this basketball bounces back against a hard surface is because it's resilient. It's resilient because of the characteristics it has. First of all, it's it's properly shaped. It's a round basketball. Had it been shaped differently, you try to bounce a football, it doesn't doesn't bounce very well. If this basketball had uh, extrusions and knots and bumps all over it, it would not bounce back well. It may bounce back in a variety of directions. But the reason it bounces back straight to me when it hits the surface is because of the fact that it is properly shaped, and it has the right amount of the right stuff on the inside. It has the right air pressure internally. If you deplete the air pressure, obviously it's not going to bounce back as well. And we're using this to describe how you are to be as a person, how God wants all of us to be, and that's the ability to bounce back when life is hard, because sometimes life can be challenging and life can be hard, and we need to know how to be resilient in the face of it, and also know how to Help our children to be resilient because you can't pave the road ahead for your child, but you can prepare that child for their road ahead by building resilience into them, shaping them, and being shaped the right way, being filled with the right amount of the right stuff. When we talk about shaping, we're talking about, for us as individual believers in Christ, being shaped in the image of Jesus, where Jesus begins to knock off the bumps of our life. I'm still a little bit bumpy as a believer. How about you, okay? I don't always bounce back straight up. And so Jesus continues to work on us, to round us out, to shape us into his image by his word and by his spirit. And then he fills us up with his word and fills us up with his spirit. And he fills us up, teaches us principles like the principle of gratitude, that when we are grateful, instead of grumbling and complaining throughout life, that our gratitude helps us to bounce back when life is hard. We learn something about how discipline shapes our lives and knocks the bumps and the edges off and how we as parents are responsible for disciplining our children to help them to be shaped in the right image, to train up a child in the way that they should go. And how to make sure that we're filled up with something we talked about for three consecutive weekends. Perseverance. How do we persevere? How do we have real grit on the inside? How do we build that? And we talked about the value of that and the importance of that. And today, I want to wrap up this message series by talking about one more very important element when it comes to having resilience in our life. There are many others we could talk about. We could actually probably do an entire year series on this topic. But I want to talk today about the idea of maturity. The idea, the concept, the principle of growing up, the principle of learning how to be responsible, properly responsible in our lives. Resilience in life requires maturity. It's going to require you to grow up. And part of your job as a parent is to help your children grow up into areas of responsibility and living a responsible life. It's very important for our resilience. The first thing I want to remind you of today is is a relationship, a God-designed relationship in Scripture of two concepts, two things called responsibility and freedom. These two things go together. One of the greatest gifts that God gives us as human beings is the gift of freedom. God gave you the gift of a free will. He gave you the freedom to live life, to choose your life pathway. This goes all the way back to the book of Genesis when God made Adam and Eve and put them in the Garden of Eden. And he put one tree in the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that he told them that they could not eat from. Why? Because he wanted to give them, to emphasize to them that they had the power of choice, that they were not puppets, that they could choose to either obey or disobey God. And the same is true for each one of us today, that we have choices with life. And while God wants to guide us through his word through His Spirit, to make the right choices. Our choices are ours. We are all free agents. Free moral agents. We get to choose. The Bible in many places talks about this in Deuteronomy chapter 30 as God is preparing his people to go into the promised land. He gives them these words through Moses, this day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. So God says there are choices for you, life and death, blessings and curses. And then he gives them an emphasis, a calling, a charge to choose life so that you and your children may live. He reminds them of the importance of making the right choice, but still the choice is there. We are responsible for the choices that we make with our lives. You and I are free agents before God. There's a God-designed relationship also between our freedom and the dimension of responsibility—the more responsibility we demonstrate, the more free that we will be. Take a look at Matthew chapter seven, Jesus' words, and I'll show you this this this, this relationship between freedom and responsibility. Jesus said, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. So he said, There's a narrow gate that leads to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose. Notice that choose that way. God never sends anyone to hell, people choose to go to hell. They choose to go against God's plan for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few ever find it. Jesus said, as you're going into your life, realize that there are two roads. There's a narrow road that leads to life, and that narrow road, you enter into it through Jesus, who is the door to that narrow pathway of life, and very few actually make the choice to follow that, sadly. And when you take, make that choice, it leads somewhere, it leads to the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Think about it with me for a moment. When you and I choose Jesus, and we choose to walk with Jesus and follow Jesus and serve Jesus and enter into the narrow pathway The ultimate end will be heaven. You will never be more free than when you're in heaven. You'll be be free from sadness and sickness and sorrow and pain. And you'll be free from temptation and free from everything that has plagued you here on earth. And the responsible choice, making a responsible choice to follow Jesus, ends up... For eternity in your eternal liberation, in your eternal freedom, it is the best pathway to take. Let's now look at the alternative. If you and I follow the wide road that leads to destruction, that road leads to a place called hell, eternal separation from God, and that is the ultimate epitome of bondage. You lose all of your freedom when you think about being in hell for eternity, separated from the life of God. It is ultimate bondage. It is the absolute opposite of freedom. The same is true in every realm of your life. When you and I choose to live responsibly, it always leads to freedom. When you teach your children to live responsibly, that responsible life always leads to freedom in their life. Galatians 6, verse 5, for we are each responsible for our own conduct. We bear responsibility for it. Jesus again in Matthew 24, 45 and 46, a faithful, sensible servant is, is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. That is, there will be a blessing associated with this. And then Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16, For you are free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as excuses to do evil. To choose to live responsibly in life is to choose a life that will lead ultimately to freedom. And parents, please remember this, that there's always a connection as you're raising your children between freedom and responsibility, responsibility and freedom. The more responsible they are, the more freedom they can have in their life. If you give them freedom while they're demonstrating irresponsibility, that freedom can destroy them. If you give them, they say that again, if you give them freedom without the demonstration of responsibility, that very freedom can be the thing that destroys them. The same is true for you and me in our relationship with God. So always remember, there's a God-designed relationship all throughout Scripture between responsibility and freedom, freedom and responsibility. They always go together. Now let's talk about immaturity for a moment, irresponsibility. Immaturity or irresponsibility is something that is very observable in a person's life. You know, during the COVID season, we became familiar with two terms related to the sickness, people who had symptomatic COVID and people who had asymptomatic COVID. Oh, I tested for COVID, but I'm symptoma- uh, symptomatic, someone would say, and I have these symptoms. Or someone might say, well, I tested positive for COVID, and I'm asymptomatic. That is, I don't have any symptoms that are showing up. But when it comes to irresponsibility and immaturity, I want, you to, tell, I want to tell you that that disease is symptomatic. <laughs> you see symptoms associated with this area, this aspect of being an immature person. It is very observable in a person's life. And so what I thought I would do just for a few moments this morning is walk you through some of the symptoms. How do you know if you're immature? How do you know if you're being irresponsible? How do you know if your children are immature or your children are behaving irresponsibly? And I'm going to give you 10 things. We'll go through them very quickly. I could have given you probably 30, 40, 50 of these things, but this is just for some that will sort of motivate you to think about and take a, sort of an evaluation of your life uh, regarding this area. So the first thing that I would mention is you know that someone is being irresponsible or immature if there's passivity in their life. That is, they don't take initiative or have very weak initiative in their life. They let life happen to them rather than taking positive actions with their life. You want to train your children to be proactive in the way they live their life, not passive in the way they live their life. You and I need to do the same. The second would be, a second symptom would be blame shifting and excuses. That's when we say, it's not my fault. Oh, I'm not responsible. Oh, they did it to me and I carry no responsibility for my own actions. And so we push issues off on other people and we make excuses for why we're not doing the thing that we need to do. And this is something you want to help your children to begin to remove from their life, blame shifting and excuses, something that you and I need to work on as well. The third symptom of immaturity is pride. Pride is all about self-centered thinking. You're in the center of your universe and self-centered acting and self-promotion and self-serving. And that's all these things are characteristic of someone who hasn't grown up yet. They haven't matured yet. They haven't gained a level of responsibility. The next one is entitlement. Entitlement, as I'm using it here, means this. The world owes me something. I don't really need to work for anything. No, the world owes me something. It's a taker mentality as we approach life. And then the next one, as I said, we're moving through these very quickly, is a is 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 procrastination that I'm going to put off till tomorrow what I need to be doing today. That's a mark of immaturity. Is something that you want to work on in your life and to help your children to realize I need to do my responsibilities when they're present before me, not to say one day I will get around to it. The next one is a word that you may not recognize. I'll define it for you in a moment. It's what I would call parasitism. You know what a parasite is? A parasite, they don't have a lot of life or any life hardly in themselves, but they draw the life out of other things. They find something that's living and they attach onto it and they just suck the very life out of it. Have you ever met a person like that before? You see them coming and you run the other way. Because they're like, they're like a vacuum cleaner. They're coming to just suck the very life out of you. And they, they don't bring anything to the relationships. They're always sucking things out of relationships. They're always the needy person in the room that is always finding someone that they can suck life from. And, and depending upon the people around them for their sustenance. Uh, that is unnecessary where they need to begin to develop their own areas of responsibility. The next symptom is a symptom of pouting and sulking. Pouting and sulking is something that kids do when they don't get their way, right? And it's something that adults do when they don't get their way, okay? They pout and they sulk because... Things aren't going the way they want them to. They didn't get what they wanted or they didn't get what they demanded in a situation. So they go into a pouting and sulking kind of mode. That's immature. The next one is the retention. That's a key word. The retention of anger, resentment, unforgiveness, being an unapologetic person, a person who holds on to their grudges. That don't. They do not process their anger well. They don't process resentment and get it out of their system. They don't know how to really forgive other people. It's a mark of being immature, someone who doesn't know how to apologize when they do something wrong and say, please forgive me. I'm sorry I was wrong. All of these are marks of being a mature person, something that we as adults want to demonstrate and we want to teach our children the value of processing their anger and processing their resentment and processing their unforgiveness so it doesn't stay in them and is retained in them and they know how to say, I'm sorry when they're wrong and acknowledge that because the opposite failing to do so is a mark of not growing up. It's a mark of still being a child spiritually and emotionally. And then just disrespect, basic disrespect. Anyone that disrespects another person is a little person. Be, you belittle people when you are little. When you haven't learned how to honor and appreciate the value of human life and other people, and you speak disrespectfully or act disrespectfully, that's something that represents the fact that you haven't grown up yet. You haven't matured yet. And the last one I will mention here is just basic attention seeking. That's really what you see in a three-year-old. It's all about me. I'm the center of attention. Everybody look at me. I want everybody in the room paying attention to what I'm doing And oftentimes, as I said a moment ago, it still applies to us when we're 30 and 40 and 50. We still live in some of these immature patterns. But the important thing to recognize is that we will never get past these until we own up to these in our life. And we will never help our children until we recognize these things in them. These are things that you want to help your children overcome in their life because they represent a lack of responsibility, a lack of maturity. And I would ask us all today a very simple, two simple questions. Number one, do you see any of these characteristics in your life? And number two, do you see any of these symptoms in the lives of your children that might prompt you to say, there's some work that I need to do as a parent with my children? Immaturity is observable. I'm going to take you to a story in just a moment in the Bible that illustrates a young man who never grew up. He never matured, and because of that, it really cost him his life. He retained some things inside of him that ultimately destroyed him. It's the story of a man by the name of Absalom. It's actually a very sad story in the Bible. I don't have time today to go through all the aspects of the story, but Absalom was the son of David. It was a terrible situation that developed in David's family, and, and David did not handle things well as a father, as he should have handled them, but Absalom became very bitter toward his dad, very resentful toward his dad, and he held on to that resentment and that bitterness in his heart. He would never let it go. David was not right in the way that he handled a situation, but Absalom didn't know how to let go of it and respond the right way to it. And because of that, something grew inside of Absalom. A bad thing grew and something stopped growing. That's his maturity. He stopped maturing as a person. He stopped maturing spiritually and emotionally, and it resulted in a very sad time and a very sad event in Absalom's life and in the life of his father David. Let me take you to 2 Samuel chapter 15, and let's take a look at this story. I want you to see what happens when you don't grow up, okay? When you don't mature. The story of Absalom. In the course of time, Absalom provided himself with a chariot and horses and with 50 men to run ahead of him. He would get up early and stand by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Let's stop there just for a moment. So here's Absalom, he's grown up now, he's a young man now, and so David was the king in Jerusalem, and Absalom's bitter toward his father. He hasn't resolved and let go of his anger toward his dad. Again, no justification for David at all. This is another story, another lesson that we could learn. But Absalom in his own heart was bitter toward his dad, so he said, I'm going to go to the city gate every day where my dad's the king, Jerusalem, and I'm going to stand at the city gate, and I'm going to get me a chariot and 50 guys to go with me. So he's going to make a big show every day in Jerusalem. So that's what he does. So he gets up early, stands by the side of the road leading to the city gate. Notice what he does. Whenever anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, what town are you from? He would answer, your servant is from one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. So here's what he's doing. He's by the gate and people would come to the city gate to have access to the king to present their, their issues, their judgments that were needed to get some relief from, if you will, the judge or some relief from, from King David. And so Absalom is out there with his chariot and with his, his horse and there's 50 men, and people would come to make their presentation to David. Before they would get through the city gate, Absalom would stop them and say, Hey, where are you from? Oh, I'm from such and such a town. Well, why are you here? Well, I need to talk to the, to the king. And, and Absalom would say, Well, you know, you've got, really, you got a really valid case there. I just heard your case. Too bad that nobody in there can really help you. Are you seeing the bitterness in, in Absalom. He's putting himself in a place that he should never have placed himself because he's got an issue inside of him. He hasn't dealt with. He hasn't matured past it. There's no representative of the king to hear you. Well, certainly there was. And Absalom would add, please notice this. Here you start seeing the real immaturity in Absalom. And Absalom would add, if only I were appointed judge in the land. Then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me, and I would see that they received justice. Also, whenever anyone approached him to bow down before him, Absalom would reach out his hand. He's ingratiating himself to people, take hold of him and kiss him. Absalom behaved in this way toward all the Israelites who came to the king asking for justice. Notice this. And so what did he do? He stole the hearts of the people of Israel. What you see in this young man is you see him usurping the role of his father as king. Very sad situation for David. Again, David's story is another story that we can talk about. But here he, here's a young man that got something inside of him, and it stunted his growth. He has resentment and bitterness in his heart, and it stunts his spiritual growth, and it stunts his emotional growth, and he's locked down, and it leads to him making some very irresponsible choices in his life. If you begin to study the rest of that story, you'll see that there's ultimately King David has to flee from the city of Jerusalem because Absalom's going to take the kingdom from him and actually perhaps would have killed him. So David flees and runs out into the wilderness. And there's a battle that happens between David's men and Absalom's men. And one day uh, during this battle, Absalom rides through the woods. He had a lot of, had a lot of hair, a lot of long hair. And he, he runs through the woods and he's caught in a, a bush and a tree. And the mule runs out from under him and he's left hanging in the tree by his hair. And ultimately one of David's men come and stab him in the heart and he dies. And his life is cut short because he never dealt with some things inside of him. See, immaturity is not just a bad thing to have. It's a dangerous thing to have in your life. See, immaturity can kill you. Immaturity can put you in a situation where you're making really bad decisions in your life that will result in in very devastating effects. And so that's why it's so important that we grow up, that we be people who are growing up. And it's so important that we do our best to help our children grow up in their lives as well because maturity brings blessing in your life. With the responsibility and maturity comes freedom in your life, comes blessings in your life.
1: Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing.